702. It's 23 minutes before 11 o'clock. I want us to have a conversation now around the state of mining in our country. And last week, um, there was the mining in Daba in Cape Town. It takes place around uh, the same time every single year. And I want us to just take some time to look at what needs to be fixed when it comes to the challenges faced in the mining sector. Remember we had the Mineral Resources and Energy Minister, Gwede Mantashe, on this show uh, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, last month. Yes, that's when we had Gwede Mantashe and we spoke specifically about mining and what his department is doing to try and get this industry to be, again, the sunshine industry it used to be. We've invited Mzilam Tenjane now, who is the Mineral Council South Africa CEO, so that we hear from the private sector what the challenges are and what they think the solutions could be. Uh, Mr. Mtenjani, thank you so much for making time for us. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I was hearing and, and looking at what President Cyril Ramaphosa said at the mining in Daba last week, and you know he was making promises around how this mining industry is ready to compete globally again because they're going to fast track uh, the mining sector recovery, etc., etc. When you look at the state um, of the mining sector right now, what does it look like? What are the challenges and how are those challenges impacting on this sector? Thanks for that question. And I mean, I think for us, the current challenges are quite important and critical that we deal with them and we overcome them. Because, in essence, the South African mining industry is not a sunset industry. And we should actually try and avoid that language uh, or vocabulary in our language um, because of the opportunities that lie ahead. Whilst we admit that it's been in decline in the past, you know, two to three years, that has been attributable to very specific issues amongst which are the electricity uh, situation in terms of load curtailment, which is impacting on, um, you know, precious metals and chrome, given the energy intensity that is required to process those metals. And then also on the logistics side in terms of our bulk commodities and the ability to produce and sell domestically and for export as well. Now, these are challenges that I think you've heard a lot about and what we as an industry and business as a whole are doing in working with government to address them. And um, this year really needs to be a year when, given some of the the, the, the changes that we've heard from a, a regulatory perspective, we should begin to see uh, a stabilization in the performance rather than the continued deterioration in the performance of those uh, two entities. And that should bode well for, uh, for future, for future investment in the industry and then we begin to see the growth mm. and assume opportunities. How have these challenges affected your the mineral sales? Um, I remember reading um, not so long ago that as an industry you've experienced I think double digit declines in, in mineral sales and exports last year due to of course these challenges um, around rail constraints and, and of course challenges around ESCOM um, in the energy unreliability. Yeah. So on the precious metal side, the gold and platinum, you know, the, 
those companies have reported individually in terms of lost production opportunity at their processing plants. But where we've seen some really big numbers in terms of lost opportunities has been on the export side, where coal alone, I think it was in 2022, it's not 2022, lost about 50 billion rands of sales. And that's the order of magnitude of losses that the companies are losing. We've got four major corridors that are operated by TFR, coal being one, the other one being iron ore, and then um, manganese as well as chrome. For various reasons um, affecting the performance of, um, of these entities, you know, there, there's been losses suffered by each one of these uh, commodities. There was an issue that, as the mining industry, you were concerned about, and I asked the minerals and, and energy minister, Gwene Mantashi, about it when I had him on the show. This issue of mining applications, because uh, the Daily Maverick had ran a story of how out of the 2,500 mining applications received since March last year, um, the department hasn't finalized a single one of them. What yeah. explanation did you get um, from the department, because um, the minister tried to suggest that, well, if you look um, really deeper into why it's taken so long, you will understand that this it's not the same application. So it, it was quite misinforming to hear the Daily Maverick report that from your own assessment, is there a problem with mining applications that are taking forever to be finalized by the department? I think the number speaks for itself that, you know, more than 2,000 applications still outstanding in terms of processing is, a, is an indication of a, of a big problem. And what we've been made to understand is that it's largely a capacity issue. Uh, while these are applications in different parts of the country, given the region, the regions where the DMRE offices are located, there are some regions that are in a worse position compared to others. And it's those regions which really need uh, significant intervention in terms of provision of the required capacity to be able to, to process these applications. Now, that also is an indication of how interested, you know, investors are, mining developers are in investing in South Africa and the opportunities that they see. And uh, in itself, that tells you the amount of capital that is trapped that could be invested in the country for expansion of new mines in terms of brownfields, but I think more importantly, for the long-term sustainability of the industry, prospecting and exploring for new mines that could be developed and the kind of social opportunities from there in terms mm. of employment, which we all know we desperately need. Yeah. These delays then, Mr. Mtenjian, it must have dire consequences on investment in the industry, do they not? Because surely this is not a source of encouragement for, for companies who want to apply for licenses? No, it is a huge concern. And, you know, coming out of the mining endeavor last week, it was pretty obvious how far behind we are falling compared to our African peers who have the basics in place. You know, we've been talking for a long time in South Africa about the cadastral system. Um, we are sitting in a position where countries like Namibia and Botswana are amongst the highly regarded um, in terms of, from an investor perspective in terms of um, attraction for investment. 
Um, we heard from our peers in Namibia that they've had their cadastral system for the past two to three years, and they're now moving forward to where the whole process is going to be online and making it seamless and easy for uh, applicants uh, and potential investors to work. And that's, that's, a, a global, that's going to be a global standard. And that's where we need to get to. And so whilst we're still really trying to put basics in place, we are losing our position as a, an investment destination. So it's, it's going to put a lot of work on us to be able to, to market South Africa as a, as a destination for, for mining investment. But I think we, we can achieve it. We, we just need to work together. Uh, and, and, and we've offered to assist the DMRE where we can, uh, not necessarily in terms of specifically getting involved because there could be potential conflicts mm. of all the other, other members, um, you know, members' applications. But where we put our minds together in terms of ensuring that we're able to enable the resources required to get this problem sorted. But why did it take so long for this department to realize that that SAMRAT system is actually not functional? Because um, when you look at the challenges that even when you look at the mining applications, part of the problem is that system. It's a turn-off also for investors. So why has it taken so long for them to realize that this is a problem? And what commitment did the minister make on when this system is actually going to be implemented? When he was on the show, he said the cadastro system will be um, announced um, in the last couple of weeks, which I believe that has been done. But when we talk about implementation, how long are we expecting to go until it's up and running? Yeah, so there's two parts to your question. In terms of how, why it took so long, I think it's, uh, I don't want to, you know, speak on behalf of the GMRE. Um, I, I think I would rather let them respond to that. I guess they have internal processes that they have to follow um, from a regulatory perspective, being a, in a public, public uh, entity procurement process. And then in as far as the cadastral system that was announced, I think, a week or two ago, so what was announced was the selection of the preferred bidder. Mm. And so where to from here is that they then need to sign on the dotted line, you know, the, 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 what they're actually going to be executing on, the terms uh, of, of their agreement. And then they will then need to begin to work with the system as it exists today because this is physical applications that are now going to be conducted through um, an IT system, to put it basically. And it's important that what you put in, you know, will, will generate a response that makes sense on the other side. The good old saying has always been that with computers, garbage in is garbage out. So it's going to be absolutely critical that what is currently in place be sorted out in terms of addressing conflicts, uh, uncertainties, any, anything that is not clear in as far as applications are concerned. So there's going to be a lot of initial work that is done first to, to make sure that what is uploaded in the system makes sense and that the system actually works and delivers as expected. Mm. That's a process that could take you know, anything from 6 to 12 months. These are experienced. Um, service providers that have been put in place. Mm. They've installed these systems elsewhere around the world, so we, we're confident on that part. Um, but I think we will need to make sure that we invest 
the right amount of time to make sure that we've got a system that's working rather than rushing through a system and what comes out on the other side is only will only cause more anxiety. Yeah, and, and I hope they're going to move fast because if I remember well, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong, Mr. Mtenjani, the president in February last year, the president told the mining conference that the system was going to be implemented. And when he addressed you guys at the mining in Daba last year, the suggestion was, this is something that we're looking at doing. And when I had the energy minister, the mineral resources minister, I said, that's what the president said last year. What does he tell the conference uh, this year? Was there a suggestion when he made that announcement last year that this is something in the short term? Or did you expect that it would take this long? before they even announce the preferred bidder? I think in 2023, we certainly expected that the announcement of the cadastro will be soon after the mining in Daba. You know, it, it, the way it came across was that it was going to be imminent. Mm. But, you know, it's taken a little over 12 months to, to get to that point. And even there, it really has been you know, announcing of a service provider and not a system that is fully functional. But we are here right now. Uh, I think it's a a milestone. We just need to um, ensure and and from a a mining industry perspective, really are supportive of the achievement so far and we want to continue to work with the DMRE to make sure that we deliver a system that's actually going to serve not merely the industry, but I think it's going to be a huge benefit for the country to see the kind of investment that will come through um, as, as, as investors gain confidence in the processes that we have in place. And I think more importantly, in the, in the legislative framework that needs to support these processes for investment. Yeah, but broadly speaking, what's the status of our mining industry right now? Um, because it looks like we're still... And I don't know, still far from realizing the full potential of the industry. If you look at the mining's contribution to GDP, um, I think that has plunged from 10%, if you looked at them in 1993, to just over 4% in 2022. I mean, this is a country mm. that was once a global mining powerhouse. Yeah. So when when speaking of the mining industry, let's also appreciate that we actually have a very diversified mining industry in terms of commodities and uh, different commodities have different effects in as far as how the overall industry contributes to GDP. Gold is, is you know, Joburg was built on, on gold. Uh, it has been mined for over 130 years and the geology of our gold deposits is fundamentally different to the rest of the continent in terms of being deep underground tabular. And so from a growth perspective, you know, that has been a huge constraint. And so we've seen a decline in, in gold um, other than the fact that there has not been a lot more exploration, you know, in terms of other de- types of deposits within the country. Uh, when you take out that gold effect in terms of the decline over the years, the rest of the industry is still hobbling along, I guess. Um, and I use the word hobbling carefully here. And more recently, as a result of the issues that we spoke about, uh, there are some sectors that have done well, such as um, iron ore uh, and coal at some point, but those have largely been due to to price. Uh, Manganese has also been doing well. 
but these have been constrained. Each of those those three commodities have been constrained by logistics, as, as we have uh, we've spoken. And then we've seen more recently the impact on price again on uh, PGMs, which is uh, another precious metal that South Africa is well endowed with. And there we've seen a structural shift in prices due to the emergence of electric vehicles, uh, which are replacing auto catalysts with uh, battery technology in terms of driving uh, these types of vehicles. And um, although not all hope is lost for PGM, uh, I think a, an era of a hydrogen energy system in the near future bodes well for PGM, and we'll be looking at um, how we take advantage of that combined with the generation of um, green electrons in terms of renewable energy. So the combination of those commodities overall, excluding gold, you know, the industry has been flat to, to, to declining. But I think you raise a very important point around the mineral potential. The, the lack of enabling factors is, is constraining our ability to, 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 to realize the full mineral potential of the continent uh, in terms of those existing commodities that I've spoken about. That's an important issue to bear in mind, given that there's also been this conversation about critical minerals, of which we have featured a lot in the, at the mining in Daba. And unless we fix these issues, we're not going to realize not only the potential of existing commodities, but those future commodities that we need to be able to transition. And so we, we, we really have to be clear in my mind about, I think, first and foremost, a clear economic plan that's going to be driven by, amongst other issues, mining. Perhaps you can mention tourism, and there could be a huge, there's a huge possibility for manufacturing and maybe one or two other key sectors. And with that, then be clear on what are the enabling factors from an infrastructure perspective, from the skills, and more importantly, what is the legislation that will enable for investment to come through and it will then be on the back of the combination of those factors that will see economic growth mm. well beyond 1% to the 5% and the empowerment of our nation from an economy that is performing. Yeah. I want to play some WhatsApp voice notes that have come through on 0727021702. Good morning, Clement. Long time no here. Missing your YouTube live stream. I've got diamonds on my mind today. So diamond mines, I was a diamond grader. My first job, I trained as a cut and polished diamond grader at Okta Diamond Sales in Dashing Center in Johannesburg. And uh, today, symbolically, it's the King of Diamonds Day and my dad's birthday, 1938. So definitely looking forward to hearing about how the mining industry is doing in terms of diamonds. Lots of love from Karen in Cape Town. Good morning, Clement. Good morning, 702. And good morning to Mzilla. My question for him is, what must it take for the private sector to say enough is enough when it comes to the ports, the rails, 
um, transportation networks that are not functioning in South Africa to say here we are as the private sector we're going to group together we're going to put our, our, re, um, our resources together and we're going to ensure that these uh, critical uh, ports and um, are functioning and are functioning appropriately to ensure that the minerals move accordingly and that our our country functions the way it should what must it take nokwazi walkerville thank you karen and nokwazi mr mtenjane oh fantastic question then and i think i like the one around diamonds because there's a huge opportunity there and it also speaks to you know the kind of relationship that government and private sector and the mining industry need to have between each other and it speaks to the issue of, you know, incentives that are required that will encourage the kind of sales that can be generated from providing these incentives. And one of those has been a, around, you know, the issue of VAT on, on the sale of diamonds. And it's an idea that we have yet to present to, um, to our principals in, in, in government. So I don't want to talk too much about it. But this is something that then can encourage further, you know, production and sales of, of diamonds. And we've seen these types of incentives in countries like Botswana. Um, and we need to be very aggressive in terms of how we push for these incentives yeah. in order to eat with other locations in, mm. in outside of the country. So, you know, a great, great example and a great question. And I okay. think there's a great opportunity there. And then on the, private sector, I think the, the, the enough is enough is something that we've already said, and my predecessor played a very important role in that. And where we are now is that private sector, the mining industry particularly, is involved in energy in terms of NECOM, and that's led as well by the Energy Council, which is a counterpart in the energy sector to the Mineral Council. We've been involved quite strongly on the national logistics side in terms of Transnet, working very closely, not only at a, mm. at a forward, but, you know, yeah. between the tracks with Transnet. Mm. Also on the crime and corruption, which has been affecting both of these institutions, but also looking at how we can address the issue okay. of crime and corruption. Mm. Oh, Mr. Mzila, Tenjani, uh, the line is just dropping there, but uh, I think you've responded sufficiently to that question. Thank you so much for making time for us. Mineral Council South Africa CEO Mzila Mtenjani. 702 Family Matters. 25 minutes before 12 o'clock on our Family Matters feature this morning, we're discussing friendship breakups. Have you ever experienced a friendship breakup and how have you dealt with it? I think we've made the mistake of thinking romantic breakups are the ones that are traumatic. They are the only ones that you need to grieve from, that you need to heal from. But a valuable friendship, a valuable friendship, when it ends, that affects you. Whatever reason it is that it's ending, it's going to have a severe impact on you. And I'm asking how you've dealt with a friendship breakup. Or maybe you've got some questions to ask on how you can navigate that. You can give us a call or send us a WhatsApp voice note. Nkateko Ndala Mahoro is a counseling psychologist at Psych Inc., it's a division of Well Life Inc. And she's guiding us through this conversation. Let's start with Lechagonolo, 
who's calling us from Rain Sakh. Lifa Rona Lo Dumela. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, so just to paint a, a quick picture. So I had a friend from uh, a back home, Komakhaeng, uh, in the village. Uh, yeah. We met at uh, in grade one. So we've been friends since then. Um, well, for rural uh, or uh, uh, politics, uh, both our parents didn't want us to become friends. Uh, for their own reasons, I don't mm. know. But then we grew together as friends from grade one until we finished school. Then we moved to Johannesburg, obviously. We still continued being friends. Mm. Uh, we were very tight uh, to a point where there was a year, there was like this four years where he was unemployed and I was working. I used to take care of him. I would wow. buy him everything, food. I would buy him clothes. I would make sure if you go out, uh, I, I'm the one who's spending. Uh, I would make sure if we are amongst people uh, it doesn't show that he's unemployed and I'm working mm. so I would always make sure that I take care of him in that in that sense uh, but as I grow older and then I am approaching my 30s now back uh, uh, seven years ago I'm starting to realize that but our friendship is it's a bit toxic because most of the bad decisions that I make I make because of wanting to impress him mm. Now I'm starting to realize that and I can't communicate that with him, but then I continue with that. Mm. Um, in 2012, we got into drugs mm. uh, because we used to go out a lot. Uh, we started taking drugs um, um, for, and then we started now making new friends. Mm. Now the, the, the circle becomes bigger. Uh, a group of these young, young guys driving certain cars always driving together, taking drugs, but no one notices that because we were functional. Mm. Uh, but then until to a point where um, I think I was turning 30, uh, 30, I think like five years ago, I think I was turning 32. And then I was like, I, you know what? I want to leave. I want to stop this lifestyle. But the only reason for me to stop the lifestyle, I need to cut off these people completely, including my friend of over 20 years. I, he needs to go. I, I remember I had a, con- a communication with him that, Chief, I'm living this lifestyle. I don't want to be doing drugs anymore. I don't want to go to rehab because I don't think I'm an addict yet. Mm. I want to live while my mind is still uh, sober. I want to live this lifestyle. So let's stop this because it's not right. And then he said, ah, I'm fine. Now I'm not planning to stop now. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Then let's stop the friendship. I haven't seen him since then. Uh, it's been sure. uh, since 2019. I haven't seen him. I dis- I blocked him from all the social media platforms everywhere. Do I miss him? Yes, I miss him. Uh, would I want to reach out to him? Um, hopefully one day we'll bump into each other and then we'll take it from there. But since then, I haven't really met someone someone that I can say, this is my best friend. Like I used to give, like I gave him that title of mm. uh, in the friendship uh, that we had. Yeah. Sure. But now, uh, yeah, it's it's, but also, uh, what, what, I'm not going to put all the blames onto him. Um, we, as friends, because the same thing that he can say about me, I, I can say the same things that I'm always, I've always been the one who reached out to him. He can still say the same thing. So, I mean, friendship, it's a relationship also. You call me, I call you, you check up on me, I yes. check up on you. Mm. So it's always, the, the thing is, we people that, I feel like we got hurt more than anyone else. We always want to make everything about us that 
but he didn't do one, two, three, and I've always been the one who's, mm. who has been doing one, mm. two, three. I take the blame too because especially I'm the one who introduced him to the lifestyle also because I uh, 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 funded his lifestyle at some point when mm. he was not working. Mm. I was the one who was paying for all those bottles and, and, and alcohol at the nightclubs. So I also <laughs> contributed to that, you know. Mm. So yeah, it's it's. But obviously, you get to realize a lot of those things when you grow old and you mature as a person to say, but this is right and this is wrong. Mm. But it takes a while to get to that point where you're like, this is wrong and I'm not going to continue with this. Wow. Oh, and so I'm willing to lose this. Yeah. Um, what a you. story, Thank man. You. Good on you. Um, and I'm really proud that you are able to say, you know what, this is not going to work for me in the long term and I'm going to leave while I still can. Um, yeah, and, even and though, I've been clean from drugs since then. I haven't taken well drugs in, uh, for five years, uh, and mm. I never went to rehab. Oh, well done, man. Mm. Sometimes it's so difficult mm. for us to just detach um, from those mm. bad influences. And and I really admire people who are able to, you know, who have got the bravery to go, you know what, this friend, as much as they mean so much to me, over 20 years of solid friendship, this is going to end in tears and therefore I'm going to walk away even though this is a friend I'm going to I'm going to miss. Lesaonolo, what a story. Thank you for calling us. Godfrey in Senton. Hi. How are you, Edlement? I'm all right, man. Go ahead. I'm all right. Edlement, for me, I had a situation that is very nasty that happened. You know, I ended up having to lay down my hands on my friend that I never thought I would do. Mm. My friend, I trusted him with my life. Like, have you ever lived a, a, a life where you know you think you know someone, and not knowing that this person is living a double standard life? He's got a life of gangsters in this side. He's got this open life with you. Mm. When he's with you, he's a normal person that you don't know. But as the time gets, time goes by, things that have been revealed to say this person this is who they really are. Mm. Then I realize that today something's not wrong. Something is not right here. We started life with this guy, business together. He started flourishing together. But there were some things that were not making sense because we were not growing as pair. We used to we used to share almost even my salary. We used to share everything with him. Then when he goes into business, he started living life that is way one cannot even afford. Then I realized that this man is actually in gangsterism. Only realized that when the guys came to my house and knocked and said, we are looking for this person, you are hiding this person. That's when I'm like, Chief, what, what is happening? I, I mean, how can this type of guys come to my house? And mm. I don't like this. And that's when I, I lost it at Lemon. I beat up my friend to a point where he, he, was, he went into a coma. He went into mm. hospital. And, and I'm not proud about that. But I realized that you can be friends with someone that you think you know. But in the meantime, you know nothing about them. Because mm. there's this life that they live that will end up putting you in a harm's way. And since then happened, Clement, I'm, I'm a difficult person. I can't have friends easy. I, I ask myself a lot of questions to say, this person, who they are, what mm. is it that they want? What, who, who, what are they bringing? What are they coming with into my life? So I'm, I'm, I'm that person who's like, I'm always solo because it, it takes me time to pass or open up. Mm. And I feel like I'm, I'm okay only when I'm by myself. Mm. Sure. And did did he ever explain to you, Godfrey, why he got into that lifestyle of, of gangsterism? You know, there's this thing of the sunken light where people want to impress a certain people of which these people don't even care about you. Mm. And and since he went to that car, you know, type of car that he was driving, I think they attracted the wrong people in his life. 
and that became a problem. And mm-hmm. I, I was a very straightforward person. People say I'm arrogant. If I don't like someone, I don't cut corners. I say, straight shift, I don't like you. I don't want your company around us. Let me rather leave. So I, I was like that. I was very robust with these guys. The day I realized that who he really is, that is the time only they came. And I'm like, chief, I don't understand. Clement did went as far as I borrowed in my car. He sold my car because I trusted him that much. He sold my car. When I found out that my car is sold, I only found out from the dealership when they were looking for RC1 certificate to say, can we get the certificate? I said, but why? They said, no, uh, this man sold your car. I mean, that's how close we were. And I let it go. And as time goes by, he managed to repay me that. But now I started asking so many things to say, what is it really happening? Mm. It went to a point where I borrowed in my other car. I ended up being followed by people that I don't know, thinking that that car of mine is his. Mm. So I was followed with people that I say people that I don't know. They, they were like, but why would I be followed by these people? Yeah. I ended up stopping my car and said, but guys, what is it that you want? They said, no, we are all, all looking for the owner of the car. I said, guys, it's my car. Clement, for them to be convinced, I had to go to the police station with them so that they can pull out the information of the car to say, who is the owner? They said, okay, it's you. The guy who's driving this car, he robbed us. That's when I realized that, no, man, certain things are said because yeah. somebody walks into your life, the next thing they come to turn your life upside down. And now your life is in danger. You know, and, and at some point, um, you've got to, you've got to draw the line in the sand, really. Oh, Godfrey, thanks for calling, man. It's 15 minutes now after, before 12 o'clock. 702 Family Matters. Morning, Clementine. This is Anonymous. I broke up with a friend, one that always helps her to pick up the pieces when her life is falling apart. But when everything is good, She'd forget that I even exist or we'd constantly have fights and she'd be telling me that, you know, I don't know anything about life. I can't even advise her because I know nothing and a lot of hurtful things would be said. To be honest with you, I've grieved. I have found a way to move forward. But now she keeps trying to reconcile with me and she, our mutual friends keep trying to bring us back together. But for me, that ship has sailed. Anonymous. Hey everyone, I would never have understood this topic without the experience I'm going to tell you quickly. Uh, an old time friend from childhood actually, and I'm now in my, in my 60s. Uh, my brother passes away, it's in another province. I go down to the funeral, I tell my friend she's in the same province. And then to try and be quick. She doesn't come to even greet me, at, uh, but she she visits next uh, the neighbor right next door to my brother. Where my nephew sees her car, and I know she also saw my car, but she never came to greet. And that thing hurt me so much because I tried to address it, and she couldn't understand. So yeah, pelaganjalo. Fast forward, she's got so much dementia. I, 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 I mean, I have to move on. I have moved on. Uh, I, I now, you know, have to visit, uh, I visit her, you know, like truly worried about her condition. But that issue, Yasala Injalo, it was such a wound to me. But right now, for me, it's just to support her mm. through what she's going through because she, it's so bad. She doesn't even remember me. She doesn't remember her kids. Oh, yeah. No. I won't say my name. Sure. Sure. That's so sad. Hi, Clement. I was a friend of some lady. I think we outgrew each other because we've been friends for more than 10 years. And it happened that I started getting a job first. I don't know if it was jealousy or what. 
like we couldn't connect anymore but the time we i was unemployed we were friends but after i got it i got a job first so i think there was jealousy involved mm, sure yeah and jealousy can can be a big thing Yo, I don't know if there's anything there uh, that piqued your interest that you want to respond to. But something else I wanted us mm. to touch on before we wrap up is um, how do you navigate that friendship breakup when there are other people involved? So the kids know Uncle Clem um, and you are no longer friends with Uncle Clem. And the kids obviously are surprised because you spoke to Uncle Clem every day um, or they used to visit Uncle Clem over the weekend. So we used to go on... On, on holidays together, how do you navigate the breakup when there are children involved? Because sometimes you don't also want to be quick to tell the kids, well, I'm no longer friends with Uncle Clem, because what if the issue is resolved two months later? You're confusing children now. So how do you navigate mm-hmm. that, whether it's with your your family members who are asking, but where's that best friend of yours? You know, um, How do you navigate it mm-hmm. when that person has now become family and they had formed other relations with some of your loved ones and and as you can you know hear from your question clement we are quick to inform kids or our loved ones uh, or whoever is in our circle about the breakup of maybe let's say a boyfriend or a partner or a husband or wife or even with the passing on of someone or maybe even a nanny because a nanny is also a long-term relationship with your household but with friendship we hardly do that because we're thinking people will understand or they will notice it by themselves or back of a strong you know we just we just keep it moving so it's it's very important to look at what was the part that that particular person was playing in your loved one's life so as you mentioning maybe the person used to call every day and uh, the kids will hear you laughing out loud with uh, you know uh, or whoever and now they are not hearing you so what is the impact to them that is linked to those conversations are they seeing you now uh being down um you know, uh, and, and not so bubbly anymore? You, did your personality change? In terms of them, did they? Did this person bring them something, maybe take them out every now and then for weekends away or sleepovers or relieve you of your parenting duties? So we'll need to assess that before we can say we want to tell, Um you know, besides the fact that this person was part of your life. So that I will not necessarily say that it's it's a must that you inform everyone. It depends on what role they played. Uh, even though they were close, what is the impact of their gap in those people's lives and in your life? Because if you are now left miserable and you are always crying as a result of this friendship breakup, yes, then you tell the kids, you know, I'm grieving mm-hmm. um, and uh, relationship with mine. Things did not go well. Maybe they have moved and we cannot keep in touch anymore and, and so forth. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they are used to the fact that she was the one who was buying them Christmas clothes, for example, um, you know, you will no longer be getting Christmas clothes from her. I will 
start saving up 10 rands per month so that I can afford you those Christmas clothes because Auntie Dikeledi will not be able to do that anymore. So we'll need to assess then the impact. Yeah. All right, Levant. I believe in friendship breakups, eh? Um, I don't want to act funny towards a person. I want them to know why I'm letting them go. I give them reasons and tell them why I don't need them in my life anymore. Uh, because I don't want us to meet in the streets and you wonder why am I being funny towards you. So I, I tell a person why I'm leaving them. Um, because I think as humans, we're very quick to cut off toxic uh, romantic relationships but with friendships I think we just give them multiple chances until we can't anymore um, so I really really um, uh, appreciate somebody telling me why they're cutting me off as well um, Hi, hi Kremant, uh, good morning uh, quite an interesting topic that uh, you're talking about I'm actually been um, passing through for the past two weeks I've been passing through a relationship problem I found my best friend um, hosting my ex-girlfriend and so ever since that time uh, we broke up but uh, over the days I've realized I need to win the relationship back but I don't know how to start and again I feel like if I go back it will be you know like I'm um, endorsing what uh, he did he host he's been hosting her for several days in a house so I don't know help me uh, good morning uh, Clement and all the listeners for me uh Friends don't stay where they don't benefit, my man. Uh, like, if, you, if if they don't gain something from you, and then you are useless, and then you, you find maybe uh, when you're trying to get a hold of the girl, tell you like, ah, oh, I'm going somewhere, and then I'm I'm having some some part with some some of the guys or something. Uh, make excuses to avoid you, but then if maybe they are gaining something, they're always open. When you come and say, hey, let's go someplace, and then uh, they'll, they'll definitely have time for you. Yeah. And then sometimes in Kateko, the person you are besties with is actually also your lover. Busisi on the WhatsApp line says, Hi, Clem. Busi from Waverly here. Friendship breakups are the worst, but losing a friend and a romantic partner in the same person is very hectic. I had a male bestie of like 12 years. We decided to date in 2022 and the relationship didn't work out. I felt like I'll never recover from it. Um, I lost a beautiful friendship bandler. That's what Busi says. Reminds me of what Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife, says in, in her book, which I, I read last year and it was so incredible. I really highly recommend it. She spoke about Tupac and how um, her and Tupac were best friends from when they were still young in primary school. And there was a point in their lives where they were so close that they thought, and Tupac thought, let's try a friendship, uh, a relationship out. Mm-hmm. And she took a deliberate decision not to engage in a romantic relationship mm-hmm. with him because she was worried that if the relationship mm-hmm. ends, that's going to mess up mm-hmm. this brotherhood, sisterhood, mm-hmm. friendship that, that, that we have. So sometimes that's something to mm-hmm. consider. Um, when you are losing a partner, but in that partner, you also had a best friend in them. Mm. And then I think people don't realize that a friend and a romantic partner are not the same, even if they were to be in the same person, as you say, you know, mm. it becomes so much more intense uh, when that 
friend becomes a romantic partner and then then you lose them because you discover other things uh, about them even though you knew everything about them which is actually um uh, quite ironic so i think if if we are friend zoning people they need to understand <laughs> mm, absolutely gateko as always yeah. thank you so much man, for for making time for us and gateko uh, Mdala Mahoro is a counseling psychologist at Psych Inc. It's a division of Well Life Inc.